This episode is sponsored by Kangaroo Jack Fitness, personal training that goes above and beyond to get the best results for you. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Game Time Podcast. It's our usual Premier League review episode. Boys, how are you doing? Good, mate. Thanks. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, a little bit under the weather, but I'm good. Tom, how are you doing this fine evening? I'm on perfect form. <laughs> ah, we'll, we'll see about that. So we'll start off with one of the most hyped games of the weekend, the Liverpool-Manchester City game. Didn't really live up to it in the end with a boring nil-nil draw. How did you guys see it? I felt like it was two teams that have very similar styles of play and they sort of cancel each other out to a lot of extent. Like They were really making a lot of mistakes with the ball and that, I think that sort of transferred over to the game, which is probably why it finished nil-nil really. Um, like I say, a lot of mistakes in the uh, turnovers in midfield and then trying to press the uh, other team really high up the pitch. And I've noticed that the last couple of games, the big games that have happened like that, it hasn't necessarily made it a good... Um, spectacle to watch unless there's a goal really early on and the other team chases it and it was a bit like it reminded me a bit of the United Spurs game from earlier in the year the first half especially where mm. both teams are just really poor at keep, keeping the ball and I think that sort of fed in and it sort of set the tone for the game and then obviously it just sort of ended up petering out a bit but like I say it was it was interesting enough, especially the penalty at the end it definitely livened up but not the, not the best game no <laughs> not, not the most interesting definitely No the penalty was Interesting, especially the aftermath that's come out of it with Pep specifically saying that he wanted Mares to take it, despite the fact that I think going into the game he'd missed four of his last seven penalties. Do you think that was a, a move to try and just maybe boost his confidence a bit since signing? Oh, I think they said that um, Pep wasn't aware of Mares' record before the game, um, oh, which con- consider- considering it's Pep Guardiola and the way he prepares for games in such a such a detailed focus. I, I was quite surprised he wasn't um, aware that he'd missed so many. Um, but yeah, to, to add on to the, to the previous comments, I think it, it was a, it, for me, it was a game where it was two clear sides that were more afraid of losing than trying to win, I think. Um, and if, that, if the game had had an early goal, like Ryan said, I think it would have had a completely different shape and you would have had a lot more of the attacking. I think it was in the last, uh, I think it was the last five meetings, there was 21 goals or, or something like that. So uh, it's, it's a high scoring fixture usually. Uh, but yeah, I think just the nature of the game, they look, I think them and Chelsea are quite clearly the top teams this year. And I think the division this year is likely to be decided by who performs well against those uh, against those three teams within that group? Um, so I think it was more of a more of a game to to be afraid of losing rather than trying to win. But w- one thing that really interested me about the game was there's been a lot of comments about Kane's fitness this season, but Mo Salah looks like a completely different player, especially from the Mo Salah who was so dominant between February and March last year. I'd be interested to think: do, do you think he needs the sort of the international break at the moment to recover, or? Or is he just a different player and maybe not benefiting from the system as much as he did last season? It's a really difficult one, I think. Like He was so good last year that it's really noticeable that he's not on it. Maybe he is tired. Maybe he's absolutely shattered after last year. But I think, we meant, I think you mentioned it last week. Maybe just because of the way Liverpool have managed to strengthen during the transfer window. Yeah, I mean, like I've said before, I'm very wary of writing a player off after like one season because obviously a lot of people were quick to do it with Kane, and we discussed about like the perils of doing that last week or last week. And I've, I'm I'm wary of doing it for Liverpool, especially for 
um, Salah. But the problem I have is, um, and it's sort of maybe again, it's coming from the, maybe the team I support. I would just really like to see Liverpool held up in the same sort of um, rigor as other teams in the top four. I mean, by most people's judgment, they've not played very well in the last couple of and last three or four games. I mean, they dominated Tottenham, but they didn't really take their chances and could have ended up drawing the game. They only beat Brighton 1-0. They had to have a last-minute wonder goal to save them against Chelsea. And then they were mainly outplayed by Man City. And their front three has been quite less of it. Like, they've not been as impactful as they were last year. But it doesn't get talked about at all in the media, I find. Mm. Or very limited, anyway. Like, if that was Tottenham or if that was Arsenal, which we'll get onto later... Like they'd be ripping them to shreds and saying, "Oh, like say all oh, this thing about like is, is Salah past it, or do you think they're not working very well?" And I just don't see it. I, I don't know whether it's just because there are a lot of Liverpool pundits on Sky, but I feel like they just don't get the same sort of level of sort of treatment and analysis as other team or any other team in the Premier League. Like I say, maybe me just being a bit biased and with my tin hat on, but I do I do genuinely believe that. Like if you listen to the post-match stuff on the Liverpool game, they barely mentioned it. But I thought City were a far better team on, on Sunday. And it's just weird how it doesn't even get mentioned at all. I feel like, I don't know, again, and this it's difficult to take away the Manchester United bias in me, but I feel like there's almost this want for Liverpool to do well because they were so good before and they've endured so much of a difficult time, like the Steven Gerrard slip and, yeah, they won the Champions League but they lost it again a couple of years later. And I feel like, you're right, there doesn't seem to be as much scrutiny on them. It was almost like their flavour of the month at the moment, and mm, yeah. nothing they do wrong is ever that wrong. But if they do something right, it's massively right. I think at the end of the season, it'll be really interesting how they judge their performance if they don't win anything. Um, because Klopp's been there for three years now, um, he's, he's definitely been able to change the way they play, and I, I think you could they definitely have improved as well. If you look at the comparison of some of the teams he's played, three years ago versus now. The, the quality of the squad has definitely improved. But I, he has spent far more money than I think people acknowledge he's spent. It, it, oh, he's, yeah. he's competing with Guardiola rather than competing with teams like Spurs and, and I mean, maybe Chelsea and United are on a similar level. But he, he, spent, he spent a lot of money. And to have not really won anything yet, um, I, I think... Yeah, this this is a really big season for Klopp and for Liverpool because I, I think you view is it going to be like the season where they had where they almost made it with Suarez and that team, or is it going to just be another season where they they plod along and they get into the Champions League? And and I think if that's the case, then there's going to have to be a serious inquiry with with management performance at the end of the year, especially if you compare it to some of the statements he made about not being able to compete with Man City and the yeah. the half a billion that they've spent, which is obviously an incredibly large amount of money, but I mean. In the modern market, I guess the difference between 350 million and, and 500 million is about three right backs. So, <laughs> so I mean, he, it's not that difference. And, and he has really revamped the squad. And I, I think they definitely play a more attractive form of football. Mm. Um, but I, I think that they really need to start winning. Yeah, they really do. Cool. So that sums up the Liverpool City game onto another game at the weekend. And possibly with all the. Th- media attention surrounding it ended up being a much bigger result than it maybe seems on paper. Manchester United came from 2-0 down at home to beat Newcastle 3-2. A brilliant game. And I think Tom said, reminded him of old school United. Yeah, I mean, that's very much a game of of, uh, years gone past, whether it's Fergie time at the end. But 
being in sort of a predicament where you can't um, you can't see United getting anything and they, they managed to get three points. I don't think the overall performance, especially in the first half, I thought it was very poor. But you have to give credit where credit's due to um, to the United players. They were able to turn it round. I thought Pogba's second half was very impressive and, and that's the Pogba I think United hoped they would get. Um but I, th- I think it, it still it still puzzles me because you spend 120 million on him and Matic, and then the second half you end up playing them at centre back. I mean, mm. it, it, it. I mean, playing McTominay as a centre back in the first half, and then uh, hoisting him at half time as well, uh, and taking Bai off, bringing Matter. I mean, there were some really puzzling decisions. Um, but yeah, I think Newcastle will look back on that and, and think they were unlucky. Um, but I thought, yeah, it's a good result. And as as funny as maybe it has been in the past to look at United being struggling and players like Sanchez struggling, it is there is something about United being good in the Premier League that does make the league a bit more exciting and entertaining. Um, and I, I think it's it is still one only one result. But if they can kick on from here, um, it could be an exciting season to, for maybe another another team to get involved with the top four. Obviously, the whole media for all surrounding it was that Mourinho was going to be sacked regardless of the result at the weekend. Do you think he's still on that sort of edge that maybe one more bad result will get him the sack? I think he is genuinely still close to getting the sack. The way this team are playing, I mean, like coming back from 2-0 down at home to Newcastle is like, it's not the end of the world if you if you sort of like draw 2-2 with them at the position they were in but if they would have lost that game I think that would have been because like I say look how sort of limited Newcastle squad is in terms of like yes they've played a lot of the big teams already this season but they haven't been completely blown away by them but still that Newcastle team is a relatively not a very good side I mean the players they have compared to United is really not good so if they would have lost that I genuinely think they would have got rid of it I mean like I said, to get to, to back to 2-2, that shows a good level of courage. And then obviously to win it at the end is sort of maybe sort of like going back, like you say, to sort of 10, 15, 20 years ago. But I think still he is still in danger of losing his job because if they don't get out of the Champions League group stages, which is a possibility, I mean, obviously the 0-0 against Valencia is not ideal. But obviously if you lose both games to Juventus and then maybe get beat at the Mestalla, all of a sudden you're looking down the barrel of getting tipped out of Europe at the group stages. And that could be something that Mourinho obviously that's one of the targets that he would have been set from the start of the season. Mm-hmm. So I think if that happens coupled with a uh, poor domestic return, I think he could still be sacked. That is a, quite a possible um, thing to happen over the next few weeks. But yeah, like I said, I think he has bought him time now though. But yeah, definitely. He, it's still, he's not out of the woods yet. No way. <laughs> nah, and the one thing that kind of mixes both of your points together is Tom mentioned the weird substitutions that were going everywhere. And Ryan, you mentioned the fact that at the end of the day, Newcastle are a team with two points this season in the relegation zone. United shouldn't be in that position. Do you think he just is getting the balance of the team wrong? Or do you think that those players don't want to play for him? That's why you're seeing so many different combinations of players going out on the pitch and players getting hooked at half-time. I don't think that performance at the weekend was anything to do with um, his tactical nous. I think that was two or three players picking the, the, the game up by the scruff of the neck and, and 
forcing that team to get a result. Um, I, I, I agree with Ryan that I think that he what's probably happening now is every game he wins allows him slightly longer and it's another game he can lose later on. Uh, so that the accumulation is is a net zero at the moment. I think that's what's going to happen. Um, it's interesting with the, with the article with the Daily Mirror because both Moyes and Van Hal were sacked um, by, and it was leaked to the press beforehand. Mm. So I, I, I personally think that the only reason he wasn't sacked is because it was the, the reaction um, from the, a lot of pundits saying, oh, that's a disgraceful way of treating him and he shouldn't, he shouldn't be, uh, well, he shouldn't be threatened by the media um, for, for his sacking. Um, the, the one thing that gets me about the media is that there was a couple of people making points about, oh, it's, there's an obsession with the off-the-pitch stuff with Mourinho. He's, he thinks he's bigger than the club. That isn't the case because what the case is, United have played really poorly this season on the field. They haven't beaten teams they should have beaten. They're, they're not playing an attractive style of football that their fans want to see. The stuff with Mourinho off the pitch has been going on the whole of his career. He dubbed himself the special one. He's notorious about getting kicked out of clubs, but he still gets results. The problem with Mourinho at the moment is he's not getting those results. And people saying, oh, it's, it needs to be, um, he needs to sort himself out. He needs to sort his, his relationship out with the players. Ferguson had some very dodgy relationships with some of his players, but no one gave a flying fuck about what happened there. Okay, mm. if if he was winning every single game and they were competing with City, no one would care how he treated Pogba or Luke Shaw. It's about getting results. And the the last point about guess about the media coverage is really interesting. How people like Gary Neville cover it, cover it. Notice that there's no uh, criticism of the Glazers at all throughout mm-hmm. this whole process. The Glazers, who every single season suck hundreds of millions of pounds out of that club and therefore take it out of the transfer kitty that Mourinho or Woodward, who or whoever has responsibility with negotiation transfers, the the way that that club is run is fundamentally why they are not performing at the moment. But it's easier to blame on Mourinho, and I, I agree that there should be no, there should he shouldn't bully players. That's not the right way to manage it in a, a team, in my opinion. And there's plenty of managers out there that don't do that that still get results. But there is a there is a fundamental problem at that club which is way higher than Mourinho. At what point does Mourinho have to say, look, it's pretty obvious that I asked for a certain amount of players, I asked for specific players. And you didn't go out and give me the money for those players, or you didn't go out and get those players. This is why we're performing badly. At what point do you say, you know what, this probably is partly Mourinho's fault because he still makes the team play the way they play. But like you said, Woodward, there was a few protests for him. There was a couple of signs at Old Trafford. And I think some people are now starting to realise that why Woodward and people higher up decided that Bailly, Smalling, Jones, Lindelof were better than Alderweireld and Boateng. At what point do, you, do they start having to take the brunt of the reason why United aren't playing well? I feel, yeah, I feel like they do have to take the brunt. But obviously, like, like as Tom said, like, you can't get anywhere by um, sort of like, it's sort of like the, uh, the carrot and the stick metaphor, isn't it? Like you sort of get far more out of a, a donkey that if you feed it a carrot than if you hit it with a stick. And Mourinho is the same in terms of like, yeah, people maybe put up with these questionable methods before, but now it's not all of a sudden the magic The magic dust is sort of gone. The fact with Mourinho, he he is obviously making them play a terrible, well, terrible to watch football anyway. Obviously, he got a result on Saturday, but still not great. 
but yeah, there, there are definitely, like I said, there are definitely the, the divisions run further or deeper than just at the, the players' level, as with any club. Um, so yeah, you should be blaming them, but obviously you should also be blaming the bloke who's picking the team. And also the players. I don't think the players should get away with this. I, I always feel like the, the idea of losing a dressing room is a very real thing. And people underestimate its power. You look at confidence in sport, any sport, whether it be football, cricket, rugby, whatever. If you're not playing with confidence, you're going to lose games. That's a fact. So no matter who you are, whether you're Paul Popper or a bloke down the park, it's the same thing. So the, the, the buck stops with no one, in my opinion. Like I say, you've got the owners for not, not supplying Mourinho with the funds and the players he wanted. Then you've got Mourinho by then turning around and basically having to go all the players that are left saying, oh, I don't even want you here anyway. Then you've got the players that turn around and go, well, we're not playing for him then. There's, mm. there's a problem. And like I say, it does, it does cheat a lot of the fans who, even though I've got a bit of an issue with some pockets of Man United fans, if they sort of maybe are a bit arrogant and a bit gobby, not, not yourself, Danny, of course. But um, like, <laughs> Cheers, a, a certain like, pocket of every fan base where they are very entitled, for example, and think we should be winning the league every year. Um, it does cheat out a lot of honest football supporters who go and watch Man United away from home in Europe and go and watch them every week when they play or at Southampton on a Monday night, for example. So yeah, like I said, there always there's always a cost, and I think that no one should be uh, exempt from the blame. Definitely, that's that's something I've always always believed in when it comes to any football club, let alone Man United or whoever. So a lot of work still to be done for Mourinho to get out of the hole, and maybe it's not completely his fault as well. Moving on to probably a more positive game for somebody on this podcast. Bournemouth absolutely dismantling Watford at the weekend. The biggest ever away win in the Premier League. Tom, must have been a pretty good weekend for you. Yeah, it was, it was a surprising result, really. Uh, um, before the game, we, we haven't had success against Watford um, when we've been in the Premier League. And, and we have, I don't think we've won at, at Vicarage Road since I think 1976 was the last time we won there. So I didn't expect much at all. And it, it, I was very surprised with the way Watford played, really, because they had such a good start to the season. And maybe we are playing them at the right time. But they looked all over the place. They didn't really have um, much of an attacking threat. Um, and defensively, as soon as Cabaselli was sent off, they put um, Etienne Kapu at centre-back. And he, he did not know what was going on. And uh, until uh, they brought Mariapa on, I thought we could probably have scored six or seven. But I think overall the performance was great. I think there were some really good players in there. Ake looks really strong. I think um, he's not going to be with us for very long. I think he is he is a top, top player. Possibly one of the best players outside of the top six. Lerma looked really assured. Probably one of his best performances since joining. And King, Wilson and even Fraser. Fraser didn't score. Um, but yeah, they all look really assured. And, and that's 10 goals between our front three this season. And we're the second top scorers in the league as well. So it's a really exciting time to be a Bournemouth fan. It takes so much pressure off us for the rest of the season now to have, um, I think it's 16 points back in the bag already. And you can really start enjoying some games rather than worrying about getting points. You mentioned the fact that you second top scorers in the league. You're sixth in the table. Mm. And I don't want to start going too early doors, but we're at the second <laughs> international break now. Mm. Honestly, how big... Can you dream? I think it's about finishing top of that second tier of teams. Um, I think although we're sixth, Wolves are playing very well just behind us. United eventually will go above us and they're currently in eighth. I think Leicester and Everton probably will continue to kick on for the rest of the season. So it's probably more about being in that pack. 
I think the obvious comparison to someone who last season is, is a Burnley. I don't think we'll be a Burnley. I, 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 I convinced we will have a down period at some point and that probably costs us European football. But I think Ryan, Ryan made a good point at the beginning of the season and maybe it is with the less pressure now in the league about maybe at the moment about league security, maybe it's worth taking a cup more seriously and trying to win some silverware and whether that's well, most likely the Carabao Cups because we're already in the uh, the quarterfinals, I think, at the moment and we, or the last 16 and we've got a game against Norwich at home. So maybe it's worth taking that cup a bit more seriously. But it's great watching us play. We're always going to score goals. We knew that. And we just, at the moment, appear to be conceding less, which is great. Um, but, uh, yeah, lots of young players coming through. Lewis Cook and David Brooks that you've mentioned before, Danny, as well, who are scoring goals and, and, and getting in the team, which is great. And it's a great time to be... The only, the only fear I have now is on Talk Sport yesterday, Danny Murphy said he wouldn't be surprised if Eddie Howe was the next Man United manager. And it's, mm. it, it's things like that where you know the bubble is going to burst. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it was really good game watching us on, um, on Saturday as well. On the Watford side of thing, I, I read a stat that since they got back into the Premier League in 2015, they've, give, they've been given more red cards than any team in the league. I think it was 13 red cards they've had since they got re-promoted again, which I, I thought was just quite an interesting stat, to be fair. They're militantly um, opposed to going in in a 50-50 without having both feet in the air. <laughs> um, I remember there was one particular tackle. Um, this is going to be a bit of a niche topic to talk about, but you know when the final score scores come up and you, you always see like a generic football stop phrase in the background? Yeah. It's like two mm-hmm. players competing for the ball. There was one uh, a couple of years ago, Miguel Angel Britos. It was last season. <laughs> Solid. He, he, um, he absolutely raked his studs down a Brighton player's leg. No surprise, he's got sent off. And then the still of it looked like a really passive-aggressive version of that. You know, when, it's sort of, <laughs> when they're sort of competing for the ball, it was just like both of his studs in the back of this guy's like... <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> I do think the way Watford play, like I said, there's no disrespect to Watford in terms of the, what they've done this season. Obviously, they played specifically well against us in the second half, which is my only real exposure to them this season in terms of watching them. They are quite a robust side, and there's nothing wrong with being a robust side, but it does come with the inevitable pitfalls of getting maybe more red cards than a team like Bournemouth, who maybe look to more aesthetically pleasing football. Again, nothing particularly wrong with or right with any particular system. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to have players like Troy Dean, who just rustles people up front, chases lost causes, puts a few side tackles in, naturally you're going to... And people like Holobas as well, who's the most booked player last year and the year before, I believe. He just like, accumulates red cards like they're going out of fashion. A young mm-hmm. So, like I said, there's nothing wrong with that. But unfortunately, it just means that they are going to get um, into situations where they end up with 10 men more often than not. And they just have to deal with that. And obviously, on Saturday, you saw that they didn't deal with it very well at all because they went down to 10 men. And then Bournemouth obviously just walking through. And as you said, the, the thing with Kapu playing at centre-back, that did help in terms of you have like a novice a novice in the position. And you saw against like the front three or four Bournemouth players, they were just playing the offside trap. And it was like, just wasn't working because he was 10 yards behind them. And um, like I said, they just ended up just absolutely taking advantage of him. But yeah, Tom, if you could get a message to Eddie and the boys to take the League Cup seriously, <laughs> I thought I do have money on it at the start of the season. I did back that in August. If you wouldn't mind just sort of like getting a telegram down there. I'm, I mean, I know they only have three stands, but I think you could email them. You don't need to telegram them. 
<laughs> well, well, we'll see. We'll see what the carrier pigeon says, and then we'll get back to that. That is very disrespectful to the Ted McDougall stand, which was erected <laughs> in the championship years. So. <laughs> oh, isn't Ted McDougall from Father Ted? No. Ted <laughs> McDougall's <laughs> our, a record goal scorer in a game. He scored t- Most favorite players, yeah. He scored 10 goals in a game, so don't, don't, don't disrespect the Ted. Quick word on Watford. Delafeu's back from injury, so... You never know, that might have a little bit more creative spark going forward, but a good weekend for Bournemouth. The last game that I wanted to talk about in depth, and it's mainly because I, I feel like they're not getting the praise they deserve, is the Arsenal-Fulham game. Arsenal comfortably won. They've won six games in a row, Arsenal have. They're in the top four. Why are more people... On goal difference. On goal difference. <laughs> of course the Spurs fan. <laughs> to get that. By, by one goal... <laughs> They're, they're in the top four by one goal. But why aren't more people talking about them? Because no one likes them. Yeah, that is a very <laughs> boring subject. No, credit, credit where it's due to come in from a period of having a manager just dominate the way a club is run for so, so long and then sort of start the way that Emery did with the two losses to the superior teams. Let's, let's be, not, not beat around the bush. Hmm. I mean, he, does, he has done well, like I say, to sort of like cultivate a bit of a... Um, a bit of a sort of like a winning a winning mentality now. Obviously, a couple of the games did come in Europe um, against quite poor opposition, and a few people are I'm hesitant to sort of slag off teams that Arsenal have beaten because on their day they can be good sides. I'd say Fulham have obviously um, on their day they've got very good players, and they beat Everton the other day, which was quite a close game. So they're coming out on the right side of these games. But yeah, like I say, they it will be interesting to see them next time they play like a, a bigger team, see if they've learned any lessons from those first two games. So I thought Emery was very naive. And that's the next step then to be sort of competing with those teams that are in and around the top four. That's where you get, the, the, that's where the top four positions are, are sort of um, decided. If you can nick points off of each other, because most teams are going to be beating, uh, for example, like if Fulham players badly did on Sunday, most teams will beat Fulham this year. Obviously, we beat Fulham this year already. Um, and that sort of thing. So yeah, I do, I do think praise is due because of the way he's come in. But obviously, yeah, maybe just reserve it a little bit more for when they play a, a sort of like a team, one of their peers around them. That'll be interesting to see what happens there. But yeah, yeah, definitely you can't you can't have a go at a team for winning. I think it's, is it eight or nine in a row now, including Europe mm. and the Cup? So yeah, you can't have a go at a team for losing nine, uh, winning nine in a row. So yeah, definitely, but just maybe just have a bit of a reality check for the next time they play Man United or Chelsea or Spurs or Liverpool. It'd be interesting to see how he's learned from his mistakes. Yeah, the next big game they've got is against Liverpool on the 3rd of November. Um, They play Palace and Leicester before that, so Mm -hmm. that'll be an interesting game. A word on that Aaron Ramsey goal. I'm not sure if you guys saw it. Uh, Oh, yes. The thing is, and I I don't like saying it because it kind of goes back and takes it away from Emery. But that's such an Arsenal goal that you're used, mm. you were used to seeing under Wenger. Such, such a good goal from back to front to the finish. It was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, it's, it was very... We, we already talked about Mourinho playing like Ferguson's United. So now we may as well talk about Emery's <laughs> Arsenal. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like I say, it was a very good goal. Again, with the caveat coming that they had a lot, a lot of players to bring off the bench. Like obviously, Aubameyang was just absolutely tearing... Fulham apart towards the end and they look pretty dejected but it's still a very very well worked team goal be surprised if it doesn't um, get talked about a goal of the month I don't think there's been a better goal I've seen this um, month in the Premiership anyway 
um, so far. So that'll be interesting to see where that comes in that sort of thing. But yeah, it was a very well worked team goal. Um, and like I say, it's sort of a bit, it's a bit annoying from a Tottenham point of view because you think, oh, maybe they've clicked and they've found out the problems that they had under Wenger over the last few years. But like I said, again, with the caveat that it comes against the knackered Fulham team, they're already, I think they're already 3 1 up, weren't they? Or 2 1 up? Or they're already yeah. winning comfortable margin but yeah again you don't want to detract from it is a really good goal it's a very aesthetically pleasing goal to watch and I'm sure they'll be very happy about it although it looks like Ramsey might be off now with his not signing a contract yeah. but um, yeah but obviously like he'll that's just another one for the showreel when he comes to July when he's looking for a new club <laughs> Is do you think he'd go to another top six club say do you think he warrants that status I think with him actually that there's, there's an opportunity for him to go abroad um, I think mm. with the success of Bale in Spain, um, a, lo- a lot more um, homegrown players who maybe wouldn't have done it before are, are looking at these clubs. Um, I think he, there's interest from, in him from teams like Lazio as well. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if he, if he would go to Italy. I, I think I think United would take a punt on him. Um, I think he may, he maybe does actually suit the way that Klopp plays with Liverpool, but uh, I, I don't think he'd have any issue with going. He's been at Arsenal for 10 years now. Um, I think maybe he'd like to go to a team that's competing for a title as well. Yeah, he'd do a good job filling in for James Milner if James Milner was to, <laughs> to get on, to be fair. A word on Fulham. They, another one of those teams, another one of the promoted teams who spent heavily. Do you think their recruitment might be slightly off, judging by their performances so far this season? I think they're in real trouble. Uh, they've conceded the most number of pretty goals in the Premier League this season. Um, I they obviously, yeah, I think we've discussed before that they're very, uh, they spent a lot of money on the attack um, in the off-season. I think they do have Alfie Mawson, I think, still has to come back from injury. So maybe that will shore up their defence a bit more. But they are, they are a club that if they are involved in a relegation battle, there's a lot more at stake than just going down into the championship. Um, they could be in serious financial fair play issues if they go straight back down, considering the money they spent this year. Um, I think they're just going to hope that their attacking players are going to get them out of a get them out of a hole because they need to start scoring some more goals. Mitrovic had a really good start to the season, but hasn't scored for a couple of games now. Uh, he he needs to kick on, but Schurler as well scored against Arsenal, but needs to contribute a bit more maybe. But they need they need to solidify their defence, and I think they're probably pinning a lot of their hopes on Alfie Mawson when he comes back. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think like the the main problem with Fulham, even though they were very good to watch last year obviously watching them through the championship and they were my um sort of like from a again sort of the way they play football they were my the team I hoped would come up through the playoffs and obviously thankfully they did but the problem last year was conceding goals I mean the the case the perfect case study for it was the Brighton game earlier in the year went 2-0 up um and were quite lucky to be 2-0 up because they'd already conceded one penalty concede another penalty and then it gets back to 2-2 and there's two points gone there and they're in positions where they don't, they can't be dropping two points, not in this early. Just like I say, look, look at what a couple of, I mean, like you mentioned Wolves earlier, they've won the last three or four games, or, or the, a lot of their games have been 1 0 wins this year. And it's just getting those, like, just winning games and it builds confidence. Then you can move on to sort of like develop and, and get sort of like maybe a few goals under your belt later in the year. You have to set off on the right foot. If you don't do that, then you're in trouble. And it's like I said, the same thing with Fulham, just letting goals in left, right and centre. It was it was a, what made their championship season last year very entertaining for the neutral. But if you were Fulham, if you're a Fulham fan, you must be sick of it now 
because like I say you've got a, a back four or five I mean you play with a back five you can of it from Sunday which is a bad idea anyway because it you need time over the international break to work on it you can't just spring it against Arsenal who are in good form anyway mm. so yeah it's one of the things where you just you can't just introduce new styles and like I said for want of a better phrase there their defence is a very championship defence I mean you've got like players like Tim Ream Dennis Adoy who are okay but they're not really looking for the, considering the quality they've got they've got Anguisa and Seri and Mitrovic and Scherler up front in, and in midfield then you've got a, a, a defence which is still reliant on a lot of the players that got them up and it's just not really of, I would maybe in hindsight they would have got in a couple of like I say you've got Mawson's come back but maybe just a couple of more um, a couple of more defensive reinforcements and losing um, Ryan Fredericks to West Ham as well was a big thing for them because a lot of their play came down the right wing mm-hmm. and Cyrus Christie is a good player but he's not as quick as Fredericks he hasn't got as good delivery as Fredericks arguably um, so yeah they, they have had holes in defence that they were looking at and they just didn't sort it out and it's now coming home to roost I think now. Right so that brings us to the end of our in-depth discussions on the Premier League game so now we're just going to quick little tidbits on the rest of the games I mean while we were talking about championship defence we might as well talk about Cardiff Tottenham. Surprising scoreline that it was only one nil in the end. No, not really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, we 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 need this uh, international break more than any other team in the Premiership. I would argue. You see some of the players like they were out on their feet when they played Barcelona last week, and the the sort of like, the worst possible game if you would have said, even though it sounds a bit weird, would have been Cardiff at home because. Mm you just know you're going to get a physical battle. They're not going to give anything up. They're not going to come to, to look to create many opportunities. And we really had to work hard to break them down. Coupled with the fact that we didn't play very well at all. And we have an injury list that is quite substantial now. Um, it was the exactly the sort of game I was expecting it to be. Mm. It was quite a, t- a tight game. Um, Cardiff had chances as well, which cannot be underestimated. Like they did have, they hit the post. They had a couple of chances. out of a table off the line. Again, they were very. They're going from set pieces, but like I said before, that is their style of play. So that's why you know that's where it's coming from. Um, but yeah, overall, quite a poor quality game, which was reflected like in the score and just the general sort of tone of the game. There's only about forty-two thousand people at Wembley, which is not a great advert for um, sort of like the Premier League in terms of you get the crowds of eighty odd thousand going to Barca, and then people just don't turn up for the Cardiff game. Um, so, yeah, like I say, not much to be said, I think, on that after that. It was just a very poor quality game from both teams. I think my favourite thing out of that game was just Neil Warnock watch, where he was just shouting every swear word under the sun when uh, Joe Rolls got sent off. And I'm not sure if you caught his post-match press conference, but his justification for why it wasn't a red card is possibly the worst thing I've ever heard. Go on. He said, he said something along the lines of, he wasn't endangering the life of the opponent, so I don't know why it's a red card. Uh, I mean, like, I can see, in a perverted sort of way, I can see his point. Because even though, not, not in, I'm not defending what Joe Rawls did, but if you look at the laws of the game, and a few Spurs people on Twitter have been arguing about this, I mean, he doesn't go in, oh, yes, it is a foul, but he doesn't go in studs up. He's not endangering the player in terms of like, he's not trying to break his leg. I mean, he's trying to trip him up in a very agricultural way. But if you look at the actual, if you look at the actual rules of the game, that's probably a yellow card. 
because he's just he's done one of those take one for the team tackles, but he's just took it up to eleven. So realistically, <laughs> realistically there's no like he's not gone in and elbowed him in the face. He's not kicked him on the floor. He's not two footed him. So yeah, I can see. I mean, like it was a terrible thing to do, and the fact that you're sort of doing that to try and stop a player. I mean, they got kind of got a lot of stick for this in the Man City Cup game. When they played Man City in the cup and lost one nil, but they were very aggressive with their tackles. And I think one of them, it was I think it was either De Bruyne or Sane, they tackled um, him from behind. Don't know if it was Joe Rules again. I don't think it was. But Pep Guardiola went mental, and rightly so because that was a, a red card challenge. But it only got booked with a yellow. But yeah, like I say, to come and do that in a game is just it's just stupidity, I think. Um, but like I said, the ref obviously saw it as a red card. But I think the, there is to be argued it may have been a yellow if. The ref was being a bit more lenient, maybe, but I think he just tied it up over the over the game. Cardiff they came to spoil the game, um, and they came to sort of get a point, which is fair enough considering the players they have at their disposal. But don't take it up to like things like that because you know you're going to get like definitely booked for it. And then obviously the ref decided it was a red card. Yeah. I think I, th- I think Warnock is a uh, is aware that his job may be on the line very soon. Um, I think the last couple of games his. Uh, commentary post-game about performances and about the uh, uh, the ability of his team. I know this week he, he said something about the defenders at his disposal weren't of the greatest quality and he's starting to realise that he, they can't compete at this level. I think he knows he's probably on the verge of going, I would imagine, before Christmas. Ooh. But, like, but the, the point, like, that is probably like a fair assessment of it and he probably will get sat, but like, I can't see the point of that. Like, like, what are they expecting? Like, unless they come in and spend like 150 million pounds in January, mm. they, they have a championship squad. So, that, to want of, for want of a better phrase, again, like I said about Fulham earlier, like, what are you, you're not expecting miracles. The bloke is not a genie. Like, he's not got miracles <laughs> just you know, like waiting to happen. I, I don't understand. Like, you need to scale back your expectations. I think if it was a team like say like um, like Wolves and, and obviously Fulham are down there at the minute. If they've spent a lot of money, then fair enough. You look to the manager. If you spend uh, about twenty-five million pounds on four or five championship-level players, mm-hmm. then don't be surprised that you're losing games every week in the Premiership because the step up is massive. I, I, don't know, I just think, like, if they sack him, that's just a bit of a weird decision. I, I think that the the argument may be there are some managers out there, namely people like Big Sam, where oh. you think, well, look, we could if we give him half a season, he's done it before. Is he more likely to keep us up, or is or is Neil Warnock? And I think uh, I, I, I I agree. I I, I, I they don't yeah. have the, they don't have the squad for it. But if if you're a, if you're an owner and you think well Warnock's definitely not going to do it, maybe we roll the dice on Big Sam and see what happens. I hope they never do that. I, for, their, <laughs> for their insanity. I retweet that. A pint of hmm. wine. Um, elsewhere in the Premier League uh, Everton beat Leicester 2-1 Johnny Evans going absolutely mental because Wes Morgan got sent off so he finally get to get off the bench (laughs) Um, Wolves continue again just keep plodding along don't they they beat Crystal Palace 1-0 as well Uh, Brighton won the Friday night game against West Ham I'm sure Alan will be crying somewhere not sure where Glenn Murray's now joint second top scorer in the league crazy Rolling back the ears. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy man. Uh, Burnley drew one all with Huddersfield in a game that had draw written all over it when the fixture list came out. Also has 1954 written all over it as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the final game is 
Chelsea, who beat Southampton quite comfortably, 3-0. Eden Hazard just carries on. But good performance from Ross Barkley, who's obviously in the England squad this week. Um, I'd just like to say, Danny, at this point, I reckon there's a very good argument for Southampton to be pound for pound the worst team in the Premiership at this point. Because if you look at the players they have and the results that they're getting and the style of football in which they're employing, I feel like they're being massively undersold by their manager. And I'd like to see if anyone has got any other suggestions for the team. Not not taking into account level of uh, players, but obviously Cardiff would probably be the worst team in the Premiership, but making it relative. So like the players they have at their disposal and the way they're playing and the results they're getting, I think Southampton are the worst team in the Premiership at the minute. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I probably agree, you know, because um, when we played, we played Cardiff first game of the season and there was something about Cardiff that even though they're, they're a championship level side with the, in terms of quality, the way they play, you're, you're, you're wary that they might just scrape a result against you and they're going to really, really look for, to frustrate you. We've got Southampton as the first game after the international break and I'll be very disappointed if we don't absolutely crush them. Because they, yeah. they, they've got, I think, a very good striker in Danny Ings. They've got some good midfield players, Nathan Redmond and Bertrand as a defender, but I think Hoiberg's quite a good player as well. But the way Hughes makes him play is is awful. They are he, I mean, he's yeah. an atrocious manager in my opinion. Um, but look, I, I mean, again, if they got a new manager and the way they've played under other managers who have in recent seasons, I don't think I, I think the squad's okay. I'm not, I mean, is there, is there any positions in particular you're thinking about when you say that? Um, I like that. I just think in terms of like the raw ability of that team, and if you look, maybe the team is a lot different to the Pochettino and the Cumin years. But if you look at the raw ability of that team, like say you've got Bertrand, who is an England international. You've got um, Cedric Suarez, who's one of the most dependable sort of fullbacks in the Premiership. Like he's always um, people putting him in his in their fantasy teams because he gets assists and whatever. Mm. And you like so you look at the midfield. You've got Hoiberg, who's a good player. He was on Bayern Munich, but you've got Nathan Redman, who's played for every level of England at um, youth level and was threatening to be the next big thing at one point. And then obviously, like I say, up front, you've got someone like Charlie Austin, who's a proven Premiership goal scorer. Danny Ings, who even though he's had injuries, he is also considered a good English striker. And you just look at the, you look at the players they have and then you just think, what are you doing? Like, what are you <laughs> sending them out every, year, every week? You're sending them out and you're basically sending them out to get beat. Because the way they play, there's no, there's no, they, they seem to be caught between being a direct side, which is like I say, in the mould of Allardyce and Cardiff, and they're also still trying to play like they were under Pochettino, which is like the hard pressing, let's pass the ball um, vertically and get get attacks going really quickly, and it just it, it just translates to some sort of like mishmash of two systems, and it just makes them look like they've only just met that morning at training. <laughs> <laughs> And, and the performances on the pitch, I mean, they could have lost. Chelsea were in second, third gear for most of that game. They could have lost 4 5 nil. I mean, they had the chance when Ings hit the bar and it was a really good save from Kepa. And, and Ings, he, he had a couple of other chances as well. But like, they were just, they're just, it's very apathetic. And there's nothing worse in a football team when you just think that they've just, they don't care. And that's what I, I'm getting that vibe at the minute. <laughs> like, like you say, even United with the game earlier in the week, um, the Valencia game, they look bad. And then, you said about Pogba grabbing the game by the scruff of his neck and winning the game for him, uh, for United and for Mourinho. And even when they have their moments, they're not as bad as Southampton. I mean, Mark, <laughs> I just think they're just, they're just the most 
were like the worst case scenario of like playing it safe and trying to stay up and not getting relegated. I think at the beginning of the season when we did the first pod, I want to say that Southampton, I said, were going to go down purely because of the way that Mark Hughes manages them. Because, yeah, I, I totally agree with the, the fact that they're possibly the worst team pound for pound in the Premier League. Because you look at the players they've got and none of them just seem to play to the ability that they're used to. I mean, was it, it was last season, wasn't it, where Nathan Redmond got shouted off the pitch by Pep Guardiola mm, about, yeah, about yeah. how good he could be and, and that he's not fulfilling that. And I mean, a couple of names you didn't mention. Mario Lamina, who... Yeah, Juventus think... player. Yeah, yeah exactly. Player. That's what I mean. Exactly. Like, they have players level, European level, like Wesley Hoot has played in Europe, in, in Holland. He's an international player. Hoiberg yeah. plays. Gabby Adini, has he played for Italy, Danny, in the past or the youth games? Or yeah, yeah. He started the game we lost to Sweden in the playoffs, so thanks for reminding <laughs> me. Yeah, bring him up. Yes. Um, but... Um, yeah, and even like someone like Shane Long, who maybe he's towards the end of his career now, but he plays international level football. And it's like you have these players, like Oriol Romeo as well, considered mm. a real good defence a few years ago. And I just don't understand what's gone wrong. It's Mark just Hughes. Yeah, but even you said about that Redmond thing, that was under Pellegrini last year. Yeah, so true. That was before he got sat. But like, so obviously it's set in a way before this. Um, and even Hughes, even though he's a terrible manager, maybe he's not always to blame because Pellegrini may have set this like sort of bit of a um, a sort of a court between two styles philosophy that they're going for at the minute. But yeah, I just thought they're just atrocious. The next time they're on Sky, I'm not going to bother watching them. <laughs> funny because they went two 0 up and absolutely shut themselves, and they, they were just awful. Uh, yeah, they've got a lot of work to do if they're going to stay up as well because they're too. Yeah, I think they're too good of a team to go down, if that makes sense. Like the players they've yeah. got are too good to go down, but they probably will go down. Sorry, that's the problem with that phrase. Well, that is that is what they're living up to at the minute. They they are trying to live off the fact they're too good to go down, and no one is. Right, that brings our Premier League review to a close for this week, guys. As always, thank you so much. Cheers, mate. And next, well, maybe in a couple of days' time, we'll be releasing a special Game Time Extra with all of the unpopular opinions that we normally have as well. So stay tuned for that. But until next week, goodbye. (laughs) 